Welcome to the Gentleman Project Podcast. I'm Kirk Chug. And I'm Corey Moore. Today, we have a very good friend of mine and one of the biggest personalities I know. And Jay Schmutz. Which is saying a lot. It is saying a lot. I know a lot of people. <laughs> and you will know a lot of big personalities. Uh, amen. <laughs> but uh, Jay and I have known each other for, for many years. We've uh, played golf together, hung out with our families. Um, and I just thought, man, Jay would be amazing for the podcast. He's a, he's a gentleman at heart. He's always thinking about other people. And he is a family man in a big way. And so, Jay... Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Now, he's got a super great radio voice. We're trying to capture that today on the podcast. Jay, tell us what you have done professionally to give some of the folks a context of uh, who is Jay. Uh, Well, I mean, currently I'm the senior vice president uh, for NetJets. um, And that uh, coming on 19 years now with the organization, uh, it's been it's been an incredible run, uh, really um, focusing on relationships. You know, my history uh, really focuses on the sales side and business development. That's the current role. And if all goes as planned, the role for, uh, you know, until I hang up the, the cleats. So it's been uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Meet some interesting people. Uh, have some have some interesting stories uh, that I can't tell you about. But someday maybe it's a screenplay. Who knows? <laughs> and what about your family? So uh, married to uh, the love of my life, Hillary, for the last seventeen years. Uh, have been together uh, for twenty one. Met. Uh, we sat on a development board in Las Vegas for the Boys and Girls Club. Uh, it's a fun little story uh, which I can go into if you're interested. Um, to, yeah, tell us the story. Do you want to hear Why the story? Not? Yeah, okay. and then so, talk about the kids. Yeah, so uh, so the story is this. I moved to Vegas from Southern California. I uh, really knew one individual who introduced me to a, a really fun network uh, of, of people uh, that, are, that were Vegas natives. Um, and so I kind of immediately had a great circle of friends. Uh, one of those friends um, introduced me to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Las Vegas, and, and they had a kind of a junior board. Um, so I joined that as a way to get involved in the community and, and meet some other people. So the day was Ash Wednesday. Uh, I remember it, uh, perfectly. And, uh, my wife walked into the meeting and, you know, I had ashes on my forehead from being a good Catholic. And, um, so we were talking about it and she said that she had wiped her ashes off because she, you know, had gone to church and, but she had wiped them off. And so I gave her a little bit of hard time. And honestly, from that point forward, I was just, uh, I was, I was smitten. Uh, so I started to ask all of my newfound Las Vegas friends, you know, who this girl was and Vegas is a very small town, as you know, Corey, and, uh, you know, got some feedback on her and, um, started to court her a bit, you know, fast forward to another board meeting at Gordon Biersch in in Las Vegas and finished the board meeting. And I said, you know, I'm gonna stick around and have, have a drink and grab something to eat if anybody wants to. And she said, yeah, I'll stick around with you. So that, you know, then moved into us closing down Gordon Biersch, um, moving over to P.F. Chang's, closing down P.F. Chang's. Uh, at that time, she was a second grade teacher and she had to teach in the morning. Uh, so I know I woke up at 930 in the morning with an incredible uh, headache. I immediately called my florist and had flowers sent to her school uh, with a note that I still have today that says, I hope you're not hurting as bad as I am. And uh, the rest is history. That was the, the, the courtship, awesome. if you will. And the product of this marriage, your and kids. Our kids, two wonderful children that, uh, you know, we've had the joy of introducing to Corey and his family a number of times. Uh, Angeline is about to be 15 in October. Uh, she is a currently plays volleyball for Park City High. Uh, and then our son, Wyatt, who is nine and a half, uh, who is a 110% boy, uh, plays anything with a ball. Is a physical kid, and uh, just we are very, very blessed, right? I, I owe all of that to my wife, candidly. Uh, incredible mother, uh, incredible partner. Our kids definitely, their bad habits are inherited from me. <laughs> Daily, we all kind of have to take a take a pause to realize how blessed we are. So, and Hillary is amazing. She's <laughs> so cool. We 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 adore her at our house. So Jay, let's rewind the clock a little bit. You're Mr. Personality in my mind, right? And um, very good at building relationships. Where did that come from? How did you become who you are today? And were you always that way? Like, did you grow up with the big personality and loving others and being a people person? Or was that learned? Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, where you grew up and why you are who you are in your mind. 
So pretty simple answer to that, uh, to that pretty involved question. Uh, <laughs> and I can easily say that it's my father, right? Uh, my dad is a big personality. He and I are, as my mom used to say, two peas in a pod. I have an older brother uh, who is four years older than me, retired from the Orange County Sheriff's Department after 30 years of service. Just got off the phone with him. He lives in, retired in Montana and living the good life and volunteer firefighter and kind of doing his thing. And Sounds like a dream. Yeah, he's definitely <laughs> living the dream. However, for 30 years, he did not leave the yeah. dream. Thank right? him right now for his service. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, he is. Uh, he's a special dude. Complete opposite of me, right? And so he got my mother's personality. I got my dad's personality. And so uh, long answer to your short question. Uh, I got it from my dad. Um, upbringing, I was born and raised in Southern California, in Torrance, California. Um, mom uh, was the youngest in a very big Sicilian family. Uh, my grandfather and grandmother migrated over from Sicily, along with uh, a few of my aunts and uncles. Uh, my mom was born here, but um, Italian or a Sicilian dialect was the first language she spoke in Pennsylvania. Dad was born and raised in, uh, in I guess, what most would consider poverty in, on a farm in Kansas. Uh, completely self-made man, you know, Marine Corps out of high school, you know, no college, but built an incredible business on his own. Still works to this day at 83. He is a very big personality and he lives, eats and breathes networking, right? Mom, five foot tall, 95 pound Sicilian. Um, she passed away at 52 of cancer. Uh, so really challenging family dynamic there, right? Uh, my mom and dad had an amazing marriage uh, for 24 years, I believe. But she battled cancer for her since she was 40. Um, wow. And so seeing that growing up in a very close-knit family, right? We were very tight, usually ate at home. Uh, she usually cooked, surrounded by her brothers and sisters or going to visit my dad's brothers and sisters and family reunions, all of those things. That created an interesting bond at that point. I wouldn't trade those 16 years I had with my mom for anything, she was the most incredible mom you could ever imagine, right? But at that point, I was 16. My dad, my brother was 20. My brother was in college at the time. So my dad and I were always very close. And so that just created this even stronger bond, right? Because he had to play both dad and mom going through high school uh, and college. And to this day, really. I think that was the start of kind of an interesting and very strong bond between my dad and I. I mean, I recall going to a, an event with the governor of California at the time, which was the elder Jerry Brown, and my dad introduced me as his younger brother, right? So we had a, we had a lot of fun. Went to a ton of Dodger games, you know, air shows, you name it. But he's a big personality. He's all about networking. He's all about relationships. And my mom was all about family, uh, as, my, as is my dad. And that's really the, that's the bedrock for it, right? I saw how my dad operated in business. I saw how my mom operated in family, and I saw how happy they were, right? I always say it's a pretty simple equation, right? Mm -hmm. Be respectful and keep your wife happy. It's not rocket science. And that's why I think that, you know, this is this particular year project really interested me because I feel like society as a whole is lacking in this regard. Um, I think we need to get back to teaching our, you know, our youth as to, you know, what, what true respect is, whether it's your partner or whether it's an elder, whether it's a coach. And so I saw all that, right? My dad was a Marine so very strict, incredibly strict, but he was born and raised on a farm. He started working at an extremely young age, probably five or six, right? My grandfather, I never met either of my grandfathers. They were both passed away before I was born. My dad's mom died when I was four, knew her, uh, do remember her. My mom's mom died. Uh, she lived with us for a number of years. So she was, my nunna was my grandma, right? My Sicilian grandmother who didn't speak much English, but, uh, she, you know, she was incredible. But my dad didn't really, wasn't raised in a very loving and affectionate household. Uh, my grandfather was very, very tough. Um, and my dad came from a family of seven, I believe. Uh, he's got, a, he had a twin brother as well. My dad was the opposite, right? We're, we're similar to Corey. We, we hug and we kiss. We're physically affectionate. You know, that's just who we are. And that's who my dad has always been. And my mom was the same as a, as an Italian. And that's the way we are in our family, right? And so picked up, you know, maybe some negative traits from my dad from, you know, in some regards, but you know, it, whether it's temper or whatnot, right. Or structure, but at the same time, like his positive traits uh, are what I really wanted to model myself after as both a husband and as a father. Right. Cause I think at the end of the day, I think my brother and I turned out okay. 
(laughs) (laughs) So I'm anxious to hear some of the how, what you have done in, in your fatherhood experience and how you've kind of taken this distillation of your mom and your dad, the sum of these two parts has made you and you've taken the best pieces. Do you have any things that you do in your house that have been successful that the listeners of the podcast could say, Hey, I want to try that. Absolutely. So I'll start with my wife um, because that's really, I think that relationship, right. Is um, again, that's the foundation and what your kids look at, right. They look at how you treat your partner um, and how you interact, how you resolve conflict, how you spend time together, all of those things. And so my dad is a romantic uh, without question. And my mom was Italian, which is, you know, a romantic as well. So one of the things that, you know, going back to my initial story of, of, of my wife and me sending her flowers, flowers are a big thing for me. I remember I had an account at a florist when I was in college, right? Or maybe shortly thereafter. Um, but that was a big thing for my dad. My dad always sent flowers, whether it was business, whether it was personal, but it was flowers, right? And so flowers are a big thing for my wife, right? There's f- fresh flowers delivered to the house every other week. Uh, by a good friend of ours that owns Park City Nursery. And it's a big thing for me, right? So flowers, little things, right? It's little things. And again, I go back to my comment. It's not rocket science, right? You don't have to buy, you know, a car or anything expensive. It doesn't have to, it doesn't matter around resources. It's just showing that appreciation. So starting with those little things, then just the way you, the way I treat her, right? The way you treat people. Again, I'm a romantic. I'm a big, big believer in chivalry, right? Um, now I understand we're in a movement. We're in a time where, you know, some people would look at that and be like, I'm independent. I don't need you to pull my chair out. Well, that's fine, right? But I'm going to pull out my wife's chair and I'm going to stand up when she leaves the table and I'm going to open a door for her. Ever since we started dating, and I can't remember maybe one or two times, she'll correct me when she hears this without question, uh, have I ever not opened her car door, put her in the car first? right? Regardless of weather. Um, I have a, my kids see it, but I, I have a thing where I open her car door, she gets in the car and I kiss her every time we get in the car. Right. I love it. Um, (laughs) that could be, you know, my, she calls me a a prepper, but me, you know, who knows what happens, right? You get in a car accident, who knows? Right. But it's a combination of, Hey, this is respectful. I'm going to open your, your door every time. I don't care if it's pouring down rain. I don't care if it's dumping snow. doesn't matter. Right. Same thing for walking into a building, right? And it's these little things that are not taught. You pick them up either in a movie, you pick them up in a book, you put, you know, somebody shows it to you. I don't like walking in front of her, right? doesn't matter if I'm at an amusement park, if I'm at a mall, if I'm walking into a restaurant. I know it sounds funny and plenty of people out there will, you know, think I'm an idiot, but it bothers the heck out of me when I see a man walking in front of his wife, right? Or partner for that matter. Um, I love that you say that actually, because I had this amazing mom who like was Molly Miss Manners. I do the same thing. I've actually never heard anyone else say that, but my mom would taught me like use a step what you're one step behind your lady and you, and that's how it works. And you open the doors and the whole yards. And I think you're the first person I've talked to. I don't even tell people I do that, but it's habit. I'm the same way. I like if, if I'm walking in front of her, I'm, I, I feel like I'm being disrespectful or something, right? I don't know why. But I'm so glad you said that. Keep going. Sorry, I just wanted to. No, I love it. I love it. No, and and I notice right as somebody that that practices these things, um, you pick that up in your interaction, and it's just something about that respect, right? And it doesn't matter where you are, but it bothers me if I'm in front of. We walked, you know, we walked last night after dinner with our son and our dog, and like just walk around the neighborhood. Like I can't walk in front of her, right? Um, If I'm walking on a street, like a busy street, like. I've got to be on the inside on the curb, right? Like that just, my thought is if something happens and a car gets out of control, like I want to be able to push her out of the way. And like, it's just these little things, right? The opening of doors. I always go back to um, the movie, A Bronx Tale. So if you've not seen A Bronx Tale, it's an amazing movie set in New York uh, around the mafia. Um, No ties that I can talk of as far as my family's concerned. Um, (laughs) But there is a, there's a dynamic of the film about this young woman reaching over and unlocking the door for the main character, right, in the car. So as he opens the car or door and puts her in the car, uh, you know, 
she then leans over back in the day when there weren't automatic locks. So yeah. a lot of the young, younger listeners probably don't be like, what do you mean she unlocks the door? She just hits the switch. Um, but she literally would lean over and, and his father would always say, I think it was his father, his mother, or no, it was actually his father figure. Uh, who's played by Chaz Palminteri um, said, Hey, you know, if the girl doesn't reach over and unlock the door, she's not for you. And so it was at the end of the movie, it will, if you see it, it will all make sense, but it's those little things, right? And your kids pay attention. Kids pay attention to how you interact with your partner. Uh, they pay attention how you interact with business people and your friends, but they take from that, right? And I remember, I can, I can count on one finger the amount of arguments I remember my parents getting into. Literally one finger. In front of you or? Just period. I just overheard ever. it. Yeah. Yeah. I just overheard it. And so, so a conversation my wife and I had the other day is, you know, we don't teach our children how to resolve conflict anymore. I personally, and those that know me will laugh, I'm not afraid of conflict, right? I don't embrace it, but I address it and I move on. And it all boils down to communication. And I like to tell members of my team and friends, and I coach a lot of youth sports, every conflict, you go back as far as history is written, 99.9% of them are going to come from a lack of communication or poor communication, right? So it's pure, it's really simple. Just communicate, right? And if there's a conflict, address it and let's move on. That being said, you know, those are the things that your kids pay attention to. So do I teach my son to open a car door or open a door for a woman or a girl or stand up when she, you know, leaves the table? He sees those things and I see things coming to him, right? So there's a good kind of segue talking about practices in our home. Dear friend, one of my best friends in the world, Jason Schwartz, Died of colon cancer at 48 years old, which is why I always, have you gotten your colonoscopy yet, by the way? Corey, please. Kirk has, uh, I'm going to. You did tell me this. And yes. I'm going to text Amelia when we yes. leave. Okay. So, um, so for all of those that are listening, um, I made a promise to Jason that it would be my focus to save as many people as possible and encourage because he was a picture of health, one of the most incredible human beings on this planet, died of 48, um, and it was something that, you know, it is a, it is a preventable disease. So before he passed away, he has two boys um, that are incredible, incredible young men. And when they, ever since they were little, he would take them to breakfast every Friday morning before school, 7 a.m. And so we would play golf every Friday, he and I and two of our other great friends. And everything was around like, and he was also my financial advisor, but everything was around. Nothing impacted that breakfast. So this was back in Las Vegas years ago. And I said, God, this is such a great idea. He goes, you know what? I get to connect with my boys. They get to figure out what's going on in their lives. It's really good, pure time. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. So when we moved to Park City in 2017, uh, as I said, Wyatt is now nine and a half. Ever since I think he was in first grade, he's in fourth now. We do breakfast every Friday, right? Before school. Go to the same place, five seeds up in Park City. They all know us. We order the same thing. If we don't get to sit in the booth, he gets a little bit sideways, right? The same, the same, same table. Um, it's such a pure time, right? I don't work. I don't look at my phone. He'll bring a book that we want to look through together. He'll bring, you know, whatever it is for us to talk about. Um, but it's such, it's 40 minutes, right? But it's such a great, great time. And so those are the things, Kirk, you ask, right? What practices, Tried to encourage our daughter to go, but she's, you know, about to be 15, teenage girl, whole, whole different, whole different conversation, probably a different podcast, actually. <laughs> um, but, but that time with him and we don't miss it, right? When we take trips, if we're gone on a Friday, like he and I are going to breakfast, right? Even we try to do it even when we're camping, right? Friday morning, buddy, we're camping. Like, let's go, let's go do something, right? Um, That's cool. So it's that time, right? It's that unfiltered, no screen time no interruptions, me and him talking about whatever. Could be talking about sports, could be talking about school, could be talking about fishing, doesn't matter, right? But he knows he's got me. Super cool. Thanks for sharing that. You also got the fishing thing there. Are you still doing that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just we just fished uh, the other night on Sunday. Yeah, my kids are looking at me when we're going up to Glenwild, and Jay's always doing something with his kids, you know, or having dinner and then he's going to do fishing or golf or whatever. And my kids are always looking at me <laughs> thinking you're kind of lame, dad. You, <laughs> Not at you all. don't take us fishing, you know, <laughs> Not so, at all. 
but, but he is always kind of, it seems like you're always thinking about, you know, when's our next camp trip or when are we going fishing or when are we going to do something as a family? And I just respect that of you. Thanks, man. It, um, you know, again, I think a lot of that comes from my family. Uh, my dad, as busy as he was, I tell people, you know, back in the day before technology, you know, he was an 80 hour a week guy, never missed a game was the coach, you know, growing up as baseball, was the president of the little league. Like he was always there now thinking back on it. I don't know how he did it. Right. I know how we do it today because we're always connected, but in that type of, you know, in that age, if you will, without the connectivity that we have, he was always there and we always did family things, right. Whether it was camping or motorcycle riding or water skiing, like that was our deal. And so from a family perspective, especially today, right? Where our kids are so attached to their screens and the technology, like we try and find those things that detach them, right? Skiing is one of them, right? Love the fact that I can be on a chairlift with my kids and they're not on their phones and we're just talking about whatever. So skiing's one of them. Camping's another one of them. Fishing is a huge one, right? Fishing, I fished a little bit with my dad as a kid, but I attribute that to, to my best friend in Las Vegas, Randy Black, who Corey has met, who is an incredible fisherman. He got me addicted to it, uh, you know, before I even had kids and, and my kids all call him uncle big bug. And he's taught, you know, uh, my kids to fish and why it is just a fishing fool. And he will fish a, you know, he'll fish a puddle if he thinks there's fish in it. <laughs> um, but it all goes down to that uninterrupted, uninterrupted time, right? Like when you're on the end of a pole, whether it's, you know, in a river or out in the ocean, you're not worried about your phone. That is something that we really as a family try and focus on. If you were thinking back on your upbringing with your dad and all these things that you've brought up about him never missing a game or, you know, sometimes going fishing together, uh, but where you feel like you're so much like him, can you share with us an experience that just like stands out in your childhood with your dad? We had some tragedy when I was younger that uh, we had a fire in our home and my, my older brother actually pulled my mom out uh, and saved her life. That was another situation. Uh, that was three years before she passed away. And uh, that was another situation that, you know, really pulled the three of us together. When I think about my dad and I think about, you know, the kind of that example, Kirk, I, I can't candidly say that there was one. I can tell you that we had a lot of traditions Growing up, there were two specific traditions that really stand out as kind of a cornerstone of that foundation, right? Of what he has, has, has contributed to me as a man and as a father and as a husband. One was we, uh, we always took father-son houseboat trips to Lake Powell. So um, for 17 years, I think, was the run oh, that we that's had. That's amazing. Um, my mom wasn't big on boats kind of like my wife um, was, it was more of a motion sickness thing. Um, she went a couple times, but it wasn't really her jam. So then my dad said, well, this is, you know, let's, let's do this. Cause we, we grew up water skiing. Um, so we made that a father son thing. So my dad would invite his buddies and their sons. And we did mainly pal. We did a couple other ones, you know, uh, around the West coast, but that was, you know, seven days of just, for lack of a better term, testosterone. Um, and that was, you know, from a young age all the way through my senior year in high school. Um, and it was just, just bonding, right? Like my dad and, and pal back then, like pal now is completely different, right? As low as it is and everything. But pal back then was really an untapped recreation area. Nobody really went there. I mean, it was so massive and the water was so high. Like you could go and not you'd be there for seven, seven days and never see somebody, right? In a houseboat. But I remember my dad and I would get up six o'clock in the morning at sunrise would jump in the boat and we would go just the two of us go ski. Right. You didn't need a spotter cause there was nobody out there and it was just glass and like get up in the sunrises, you get in the boat. We're both jacked up. And you know, I mean, I started pulling him in a boat when I was probably, I don't know, 10 or 11. Right. Like he taught me how to, to pull a water skier. And I just remember like he and I would just be so excited, right? Like here we are, we get this untouched glass. Nobody would sneak out of the houseboat, right? Would push the boat away from the houseboat so nobody would hear it start and would like let it drift out and would start it up and would go find a, a cove somewhere. And just the two of us would just, you know, pull each other on, on skis for, you know, for an hour or two before everybody else got up. And, but those trips in particular um, were just, we would just look forward to them every year. 
Um, and then the other thing is, that, you know, is the Dodgers, right? Uh, being born and raised in Southern California, we had season tickets for, goodness, 20-plus years. So you figure there's, what, 82 home games, I think, is the, is the number. Um, and for a run there while I was in elementary and high school, my dad and I probably went to at least 50. Right. And so, wow, that's amazing. You know, so I think like when I, when you asked me that question, Kirk, I, I can remember perfectly driving down the 110 freeway um, to Dodger Stadium before they built the second deck. Right. So the 110 now has two decks on it. But driving down the Arbor Freeway, going to the Dodger Stadium, listening to Vince Scully on the radio, right in the pregame. Um, and so, you know, the amount of time that I spent at Dodger games with my dad, um, I mean, there's just so many great, memories right to the point that i have you know the seats that we sat in in my home right um and and so those are the things like i think about as a parent today i wouldn't trade all the money in the world to be a kid today right i mean we laugh at it as parents when you hear your parents say that but they they literally have it tougher than we did right kids literally have it tougher than we did when we were kids, it was a lot more innocence, a lot less exposure, uh, a lot less pressure. And so what we as parents, my wife and I do, is we really figure out how do we make it easier on them, right? Knowing what they're going through, whether it's their peer groups or, you know, we're, we're pretty big sticklers on social media. That's not something that, that is uh, permitted for our teenage daughter. Um, so, you know, people can and say what they will, but, um, but, but we, we really try and say, how do, how do we make it easier for them? Knowing that they're experiencing things that we've never experienced. Now, if we go back to our childhoods, the three of our childhoods, right? Our parents really experienced the things that we were experiencing more or less, right? Maybe a little twist or a little different dynamic, but more or less they experienced similar things. We have no idea what these kids today are, are dealing with from a pressure, from a social media, from a, just a you know, social perspective. So as a parent, how do you make it easier on them? Right? Not too easy, but where can you make it easier on them? A lot of that, a lot of that's that interaction, that love and that support and you know. Yeah. Well, back when we were kids, my parents were just trying to protect me from the Simpsons. Like that was it. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's a bad influence. He's a you bad influence. Listen to this kid. He's yeah. a cowabunga man. And uh now it's South Park. Now it <laughs> Yeah, and and everything else. So, I I like that. I mean, a lot of times we've had people on the podcast and say, "Don't be afraid to let your kids fail," you know. But and I like where how you said make it easy on them to an extent because they still have to learn how to go about it. Who knows what your grandkids are going to be dealing with? You know, you, uh, they're going to have to be prepared and armed for being parents to that generation. So, it's a it's a balancing act, man. Yeah, there's you, no right answer. I don't think. I don't know. I, I mean, for if, everybody, it, it's all different, right? The dynamics are so different, but you touch on something and not all, you know, and, and allowing your kids to fail. And as a coach, it's such a huge thing for me, right? Like we just do not teach our kids how to a resolve conflict or fail. Right. And that's a problem. That's where this entitlement comes from. That's where the sensitivity comes from. Right. Like, um, you know, my wife and I talk about it, you know, our, our boy, Again, he's all boys, physical, you know, he's got some conflict at school with, you know, one or one or two of the other boys. And I said, you know, back when we were kids, my parents didn't get involved. I didn't come home and tell them like we figured it out, whether that was a fist fight or a wrestling match or a football match, whatever it was, but you figured it out. Right. And, and now we don't allow that. Right. We are us as, as a society, we helicopter our kids, we get involved in everything. It's like, we have to, we have to teach the youth of today, how to resolve conflict and how to communicate, right. And how to fail and failing is that's how you learn. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I tell every single one of my teams. Listen, you guys go out there and you give 110%, you leave it all out on the field. The scoreboard will take care of itself. And if it doesn't, what do we take from it? Right. Where can we have gone? Where could we have been better? And how do we fix it next week? So your comment really resonates because I think that's a huge, huge piece of, you know, where we as parents and adults and mentors can be better. Um, what do you coach? Why do you coach? And what have you learned via the, the coaching these young youth today? It is definitely a passion, right? Um, my dad coached uh, me in baseball 
uh, all growing up. Um, he was very involved. Uh, I got into coaching um, baseball when Wyatt, when our son was uh, in, when we were in Las Vegas and he was playing t-ball. You know, it was one of those things where I've always loved kids, um, just just as a group, right? Even going back to high school and kind of different volunteering opportunities, just have always loved kids. And and courting my wife when she was a teacher, I would love to be in her classroom, right? I would just, I would live to go into her classroom and just interact with the children. So um, that t-ball coaching um, morphed into when we moved out here, uh, a dear friend of ours got us involved in lacrosse. I'm a West Coast kid, didn't involve, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't exist when I grew up. Um, Park City and Utah actually is, is one of the fastest growing states in the country when it comes to lacrosse. And so got us involved in that and started coaching Wyatt when he was in kindergarten, um, fell in love with the sport, fell in love with everything about the sport, right? The physicality, uh, the fitness, that physical element is very good for young boys and it's incredibly good for young women as well. Our daughter picked it up in fifth grade, I believe. Uh, I coached her for a year, uh, which coaching girls is a whole different ballgame than coaching boys. Uh, I loved it. I absolutely loved coaching the girls. Um, it's just a completely different approach. So I've stuck with it uh, for, for Wyatt. He's now in fourth grade, has played year-round. He's played fall and spring. Uh, also coached him in basketball, coached him in baseball, uh, coached our daughter in softball. Uh, coach her in soccer for a couple of years. I hadn't played soccer since kindergarten, but a good friend of mine once told me that uh, the best coaches aren't the best players and the best players aren't the best coaches. And so it takes a special type of person. We run a pretty strict team. We are about discipline. We're about respect and we're about having fun. As my son told me when he was, I think it was last year when I was a little worked up over a loss, he goes, dad, it's third grade lacrosse. <laughs> and I go, you know what, buddy? You're right. Right. But it's really like you take boys that are competitive or girls that are competitive. You take some boys or girls that aren't competitive and you have to figure out how do I make this fun for this kid? Right. And how do I impact them? I will tell you now, as I walk around town, even to this day, you know, my daughter has a good friend. They're about to be 15 and I coached her when they were in fifth grade and she still calls me coach Jay. Right. And when you're sitting at a coffee shop or a restaurant, somebody comes up and says, Hey coach Jay, like, there's just this feeling, right? That it, and, and the impact you have on these kids is so profound, right? You have to be careful. They're watching you as well, right? It's just like it is in your own home. But the impact that you have on them and you see that smile or you see that progress or you see that the learning of a new fundamental or, you know, it's just, it's so completing, right? It really is to see these kids start to come together as a team and, you know, we really stress the importance of you're not just a team on the field, right? You take care of your teammates off the field and, you know, you respect the name on the front of the jersey, right? This is who we represent. So these are all things I've picked up through the years in playing sports and from other coaches. And it really is, it is something that I look forward to every day. I mean, just getting out there, disconnecting, focusing on these young athletes and the development of them, both as athletes and as people, right? Like that's the other piece developing them really that's the most important piece as people yeah right they can make a huge lasting impact like actually on the way here i'm at the gas station stop to get gas pull over at the pump and i look right in front of me and there stands holger hansen who was this big huge lineman coach that played in the nfl that coached me in high school football i haven't seen him for tw like 20 probably pro 22 years you know and but there's Coach Anson, right? And I can remember everything he yelled as we were driving sleds and, you know, everything about it. And for me to be able to see him and remember what he taught me, like, that's a huge lasting impact. How many people do you really recognize after that long and have a positive thought in your head about them, you know? Yeah, and I think that it's, you know, it's either a coach or a teacher, Right. Like, I mean, right. I think that all three of us, if we pulled any of us, right. Like you're going to think about the teachers. I mean, I remember my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Levine, right. Same teacher my brother had in kindergarten. Like, you know, I remember my teachers and who had impacts and the coaches too. I can, I can rattle off almost every coach that I've had. You think about that as a coach, you're like, yeah, I know how impactful my coaches were in my life. Like if all goes as planned, like this young man or this young woman is going to think back and be like, man, coach Jay, I remember he taught me this, right? No, 
you know, so that's just, it's, it's something that's always top of mind for myself and, and all the other guys that I work with. Well, not every one of those kids on your team has a positive male role model in their life either. So that's a huge deal when, when they've got somebody that they can look up to if they're being interviewed on a podcast in 40 years, you know, and they say, I remember my coach Jay, you know, he taught me, he taught me respect. He taught me discipline. He taught me how to have fun, not take myself too seriously, be competitive, you know, and rattle off this long list of things that you're helping them learn. That's a, that's a powerful influence in their lives. It's yeah, it is. And and we think about that, right. Um, you know, you, you never know what's going on in somebody's home. Right. Um, so I, as I've gotten older, I've tried to work much better on, you know, not being reactive. Um, but you think about the kids specifically, uh, you don't know what's going on in their home. And so we mix our coaching style. We, because I've got two guys in particular that I've coached with for a long time. We mix our coaching style with discipline and structure and a ton of affection, right? So this all ties back to that physical affection, not everybody, that's not everybody, right? And I'm not faulting anybody, if, you know, if, if you're not a hugger kisser, like, oh, well, like that's, it's not, that's not a knock on you, but we combine our coaching style with all of those elements, right? So we hug our kids as the head coach of the lacrosse team. I've got, you know, three other guys that, that work with me. And as the kids come off the field, like I pull the kids to the side and I talk to them about what they're doing right and wrong. Right. But we always want to finish with what they've done right. And so, um, just continuing to build them up and give them that support and that positive reinforcement. But you have to tell them what they did wrong, right? It goes back to teaching them how to fail. Hey, Kirk, right? You missed your, you know, you missed your coverage on this one. You should have stuck to your guy. But listen, man, you're doing really good. I love what you're doing here, right? Um, but we're hugging our kids and we're giving them high fives. And, you know, like we want, them to, we want them to think back and go, man, that was a lot of fun. And we see it, right? We've got the same team. We've got the same crew of, I think, nine kids that have been playing together since kindergarten. Right now is ultimately our goal was to build this team, have them stick together. And it really seg- it, it dovetails well into what you guys are doing because we want to teach these boys how to be great, great men and great athletes. And if we can keep this unit together, right, I, I, I kind of think about it as, as, you know, and how the military models their units and keep these kids together, teach them that discipline, that respect, how to have fun, how to work hard as they move through, you know, the age groups, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. But most importantly, they've become good friends, right? They've become good friends. Yeah, that's super cool. So I want to ask you about maybe work-life balance a little bit um, because I, I know how successful you are at work and how hard you work, and yet you're finding, you're forcing this quality time to be a coach, to have the breakfast, to go fishing, you name it, right? All the things we talked about. And there's this theme, whether it was with your dad or with your kids, you are forcing quality time in your life with your family. And your dad did too. You can, I, it's obvious. And, 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 you know, in today's age, um, the time it has been focus time without your phone, you know, technology, right? You're present when you're in these, in these moments. And yet you have a big job too. So, Maybe just talk about how do you compartmentalize or how do you think about that or how do you try to organize yourself so that you can be a great father, husband, and also have this big career that you have? Million dollar question, right? Um, I will tell you that um, my role at NetJets and and NetJets specifically uh, as an organization you know, they, they give uh, those of us in our roles quite a bit of autonomy, um, and which has kept me here for 19 years, right? It has allowed me to work that balance. Now, excuse me, that being said, um, the first couple of years weren't like that, right? Um, I mean, long, long, long hours. I mean, there was a time where uh, when we lived in Las Vegas that I commuted weekly to California, and so I would leave on Sunday and come home on Thursday. Um, and, you know, I did that for two and a half years, probably, uh, working on cleaning up some business there. And um, we were successful in that project, but that was a lot of time away from the family. Um, so it's not, you know, that wasn't immediate by any means. Uh, the move to Utah was phenomenal for myself and for my family. Um, that was something that, you know, we, we spent a lot of time up here for a lot of years. 
uh, and moving up here full time in 17, um, really just changed the way that I look at life. Um, you know, just living in such a beautiful place, uh, love Las Vegas will always be Las, Las Vegas to heart. Um, but, uh, just a different environment. And that was the choice, right? The choice for us was moving our kids into a different environment, um, and being surrounded by just, just different dynamics. Um, and really from an education perspective and then also from an outdoors perspective, right? Uh, being able to go out and be active outdoors year round. Um, that balance that you speak of, Corey, I mean, it, it is something that I, uh, think of daily. Um, since I'm Catholic, I have that Catholic guilt. Um, so when my son walks into my home office and says, dad, let's go do this. Like, I'm like, well, I gotta go do this. I only got so many years. Right. Um, technology definitely uh, helps, right. Being able to be connected, uh, helps with a lot of these things right? Uh, whether it's camping or fishing or you name it, right? Being able to be connected and being responsive to the business uh, allows us to, to, to do that. Now, that being said, when I'm coaching, I don't look at my phone a single time, right? Um, I think it all boils down to priorities, right? What's most important? Um, could, I ch- could I have chosen a different direction in my business life and been more successful, quote unquote, uh, from a monetary perspective and an earnings perspective, absolutely. But that's not what's most important to me, right? Seeing death with my mom at 52 uh, at a young age, uh, I think opened my eyes up to how short life can be. Um, the recent passing of, of my friend Jason really hammered that home, right? What's important? Um, and, and I think that that, is what I really try and focus on, right? You have an issue at work. Okay, let's figure it out. Is it important? Yes, it's absolutely important. So let's figure it out, right? But is it cancer? No, right? So let's just figure it out and let's move on. And so when you prioritize your time with your family, but still being responsive and and still doing your job, right? And making sure that you're answering to whoever needs to be answered to. Um, it's tough to find that balance. I'm, you know, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. I mean, you know, my kids will remind me that from time to time, get off your phone and this, that, and the other. And, and so, you know, I'm glued to my phone, just like most of us, we are a 24 seven business, so I'm never far from it. Um, but also I think that people are respectful of that. Most are, um, and you do have to force yourself, right? Because a lot of times you want to fall back to, you know, and I have a home office. So, I mean, I, I'm going to work till 10 or I'm going to work till, you know, I'm going to go to bed. It's not healthy, right? So it's really discipline is what it is. Now, I've been blessed in the fact that I have an occupation that allows me uh, to do a lot of these things. But at the same time, it's discipline, right? And can I work harder for that next deal or can I work harder for whatever? Yeah, I absolutely can. But Kids are only young for so long, right? And we don't know. And, I, and I, so I think, you know, directly to your question, which is an amazing question, and I wish more people would focus on it, right? Because we are so caught up. It goes back to the youth being pressured and this, that, and the other. We as adults are all pressured to succeed in whoever thinks that success is, you know, measured by X. But that really is up to you, right? What's success in your eyes? Are you going to look back on it when you're, 60 and you go, man, should have spent more time with my kids. Right. I was talking to my brother on the phone today and he goes, man, you know, that's the joy of social media. I think the main positive of it is being able to keep up with your friends and your family. And my brother's like, man, your kids are getting big. And I was like, God, you just blink. Right. We all know, right. All three of us have kids, you know, it just goes so fast. So I'm taking every possible minute I can. Right. And, and whether that's sacrificing work or sacrificing, you know, personal time, I don't care. I only got so much time. And, and I think it's a direct correlation to what I do for a living, right? I sell time at the end of the day, and I know it. I know that it's valuable, specifically with your family. Well, thank you for answering that, because I think, I think it's important. I think a lot of people um, pretend that they have balance, right? Um, one of our other guests, I think it was Derek Porter, but said, 
you know, it's more of a times and seasons kind of a thing. And I think that's true. The more I've looked at my own balancing act, you know, there's sometimes when work, I have to do it and I just have to be all in. Maybe we're going through an acquisition or we're trying to close a big deal or whatever. And I, there's more time, but then there's other times when I can disengage and go on a vacation or, you know, do go to a ball game or you name it. And so I think some people feel like the, the, the balance has to be like the same every week, every day. And I would say that times and things and seasons idea of, Hey, you're going to be really busy. Sometimes you're going to be less busy. If you're disciplined, then when you're less busy, you'll focus on your family and your kids and the quality time and the relationships. Right. And so that's, that's helped me this idea of, of times and seasons, but I can tell talking to you and knowing you that you're good at that. And that's why I asked the question is you have focused your life on making sure that you find quality time with your family. And that's, that's huge. We've had people on the podcast when we've said, you know, we may have asked a question like, okay, well, if you had to do it all over again, what, what might you tweak? There's been many people who said more time. I would have spent more time with my family. You know, we had that, my, my, my dad had cancer in his fifties and we thought we were going to lose him. That totally changed our whole family's perspective. And we were pretty good at it before, (laughs) but when someone in your family is gets close to death or you lose someone. Yeah. It kind of shocks you into what probably is closer to reality. And that is time is short and you better spend it smart. Right. Oh yeah. You're, you could not be more spot on. Right. This is something that I've learned from Corey too, is uh, time is like water. It just flows in the least passive resistance. And if we don't schedule something like Corey's life, is dictated by his calendar. He knows what he can and can't do in certain points of the day and the week and the month. And I've learned that from Corey that, you know what, like weekends and these times during the week, they're mine. They're already booked. They're booked with the most important thing that I could ever do. And nothing's going to infringe upon that. Um, I usually start my days at nine 15 because I can be to salt Lake by nine 15 because I dropped my daughter off at eight 30. And those times of just remembering dad dropped me off at school almost every morning of my elementary experience, that, that memory is going to be really, really valuable. But if we don't schedule it, then time just kind of slips through our fingers like water and you go, Oh, where did the time go? The time was filled up with, by things of urgency and we think they're more important than what really is. So This has been an amazing conversation. Corey, thanks for inviting Jay. Jay, pleasure to meet you. I think we'll be friends for a long time. We already are, Kirk. I can tell you uh, that right now. (laughs) At the end of every podcast, uh, we always ask our guests what they think it means to be a gentleman. You've done a really good job of uh, kind of addressing some of these things already early on in the podcast, but we would love to hear what your answer is to that question. Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. I think to be a gentleman, I think it all boils down to respect. And that is across the board, right? Uh, I think that is respecting everybody that you interact with. I always like to say that from the janitor to the C-suite, if you address people, right, the golden rule, uh, and and interact with people the way that you would want to be interacted with and show that level of respect, it's a lost art. Society is a bit more angry. Uh, a little bit more spun up. I'm guilty of it, as all of us are, right? We From time to time. But if we just try to bring ourselves back to that level of respect, you know, we might have been, I don't know, 40 years ago, people weren't so angry with one another and it wasn't always an argument. That's, to me, being a gentleman um, is showing that respect. And I think that to take it a step further, I think really understanding and respecting your partner because that's really where it starts right we talk about what we do in our home for our kids and and that's you know and, and i'm proud of it and and it's a constant work in progress as the two of you know like you cannot let up one single minute uh especially with you know with the young ones um but it really starts with your partner right and respecting your partner and regardless like if again not everybody's affectionate so that's fine but just Affection isn't respect, just being respectful. 
right? And showing them that you appreciate and respect them. I think that starts a wave, right? As the kids, as your kids or people around you notice that and they go, hmm, I think I could be better, right? And and you talk about time and, you know, my wife and I try and have a date night at least once every other week, right? Um, sometimes it's every week if we can make it happen. That's just her and I, right? To dinner somewhere. You've got to find that time for yourself. Find the time, right? That's a, that is a, a recurring theme throughout today's podcast is find the time, make the time, be disciplined. And being a gentleman is, is being respectful, but it, it really does start with your partner. Um, and if you don't have a partner, then it starts with, you know, your closest friend because that's going to create a habit and it's going to create behavior and it's going to be second nature. And I think that your project here, which I absolutely love, that's, that's how we can make this change, right? Is really getting our brothers and sisters to respect one another across the board. So you started at home, it's going to translate into the office, it's going to translate into the field, it's going to translate into everywhere. But that's where I think we can make that change. Thank you. We hope the podcast is an amplification of your message. And if you've listened to the podcast today and you've felt like you could do better, be better, find the time, make more time, be a little bit more respectful towards your closest friends and family, and we can ripple effect that down the line, then the podcast has served its purpose today. So thank you, Jay, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for your insights, Jay. It was very, very good. Thank you. Thanks for your friendship, buddy. And thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, we will be posting this obviously wherever you're listening to the podcast you can find us you can subscribe to the podcast and you can get each new episode downloaded to your device so that when you've got a little bit of time you can take it fill it with good stuff Uh, if you've heard something today that you think is important that you can share with somebody if a name popped into your head today take a second and share the episode with them and tell them why you're sharing it with them Thanks for all you do as our listeners to help and encourage us and the interaction that you have with us on social media and all the other places that we try to put this message out. I'm Kirk Chug. And I'm Corey Moore. Go out and make time to create ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, everyone.